over. I'm back after my one week boycott, Ricky. <laughs> it's it it's amazing that you're calling it a boycott when if anyone was going to be boycotting the show, it should have been me, damn it. What I say in my uh in my statement I wrote to Andrew, I think I said uh I said sounded uh, like a politician is what you sounded like. So it was pretty funny because you guys were about to record at like five o'clock that afternoon. I said I couldn't do it because I had a meeting at five o'clock. So at four fifty-eight, Andrew texts me and he says, You got that statement? So I'm literally like getting ready for a work meeting and I'm like, you know what? I got him in. Ah, let me let me write this statement up real quick. So I went ahead and uh sent it in uh I don't know if I did notes app or if I just texted it to him. I can't remember. I think I just texted it to him. But uh yeah, I think uh, my words were like one week hiatus uh, because of your mid takes on uh, Tyler Bowen, something like that. I was like, just kidding. It's five o'clock on a Thursday. I'm in a meeting. So uh, the that sounds accurate. The the irony here is that uh, once again, we're recording one day later than we planned uh, because I fell asleep last night at like 830. So we're recording it <laughs> Wednesday night at 1030 after I got the baby down. Uh, no Andrew, because Andrew had previous plans. He was ready to record last night, of course. I was not, so here we are. Yeah, so just for con- for full context, for those who um, may have missed some some of our podcasts, Mike has a child, and um, that that's kind of self-explanatory, right? Like, <laughs> I don't feel like you need uh, much more, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I... I do my best is basically what it boils down to. And uh, fully intent on recording yesterday, I said, yeah, let's record. Uh, and then 8.30 rolls around. I fall asleep. I wake up at 3 a.m. I'm like, ah, it's not great. You know, I saw a is, you know who else is doing their best right now? The hokey women, baby. Yes. Final four. Final so, freaking four. If So if I had, if I had asked you, Oh, by the way, we're presented by Main Street Pharmacy. Yes. If I had asked you... Shout out, Jeremy. If I had asked you five years ago if Virginia Tech would make a Final Four on the women's side, what would you have said? Probably not. I wouldn't have even said probably. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't have said probably either. Yeah, definitely not. The women's landscape has been so top heavy for essentially the last what two and a half decades like yeah basically as long as i've been alive the the sport's been extremely top heavy you had the the tennessee vols under pat summit gino oriema under yukon had probably the most dominant team in any sport for any period of time ever yep um what would they win? Like, was it like three straight national championships and like five out of six or something? Yeah, they were a wagon for a long time. I don't yeah. know the exact numbers, but I mean, every every year they were in the title game, it felt like. Yeah. And then, of course, now you have South Carolina, who's been really good for a while. Um, the new UConn, basically. I mean, going undefeated yeah. and looking like far and away the favorite um, year in and year out now for the last three or four years. Yeah. So. And then, of course, Notre Dame has been very good for a long time. But Virginia Tech, it felt like the it felt like the highest they were ever going to get was like that fifteen range, right? Where maybe in an elite year where they were, you know, loaded with seniors, they can get to kind of middle of the pack in the top twenty-five and maybe win a game or two in the tournament. Right. They're thirty-one and four. Yeah. And they've won like seven, like 72 games in a row. Um, the, the, the math ain't mathing. They but, haven't lost. They haven't lost since, was it late January, early February? Yeah. Um, they haven't lost like two months. You want to know how I, you want to know, I, I guess the moment I finally, the moment I finally was willing to admit that this team could win a national championship. Ohio State shot almost 70% from the field in the first half in this game. And Virginia Tech was winning. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as as the first half ended, I said, damn, this team is – like I know South Carolina is really good, 
And, you know, if, if Tech's able to beat LSU, which, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about after the game, obviously. If Tech is able to beat LSU, they're probably going to face South Carolina. South Carolina is going to be favored in that game. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Virginia Tech's got no chance. No. How this could team you? Is, this team is legit. Yeah. I mean, how could you? Um, Maryland, I mean, first of all, let's start with, with the Elite Eight game that preceded, you know, Virginia Tech's, you know, victory over Ohio State. Maryland gave South Carolina a run for a while, right? Yeah. And, you know, South Carolina ends up winning that game by 11. South Carolina is far and away the favorite. They haven't lost a game all year. They were the preseason favorite, uh, heavy favorite coming into a tournament, you know, um, to the point where the women's bracket hall, I was watching the bracketology show um, on Selection Sunday, you know, the men's bracket and then the women's bracket came out and ESPN has that like combined show later in the night where it's, you know, this big bracketology, you got the men's breakdown, you got the women's breakdown. You know, the, the basketball analysts, you know, for, for the for the women's bracket, Rebecca Lobo and others, you know, they were talking about, okay, would you rather have South Carolina or the field? And all of them were like, it seems silly, but we, we'll take South Carolina, right? <laughs> so, you know, it, it's just crazy kind of playing the odds, right? And thinking about, you know, how, how many different teams out there could really beat South Carolina. The answer is not that many, right? But I do think Virginia Tech is one of them. And it's interesting because, like, Maryland played a really good game. Brenda Freeze runs a great program there. She has for a long time. Maryland's always been very competitive. They gave South Carolina a run. South Carolina pulls away, obviously, um, makes the Final Four as expected. They're going up against Caitlin Clark in Iowa. They're favored by 11 in that game right now. To give you an idea, Iowa's been very, very good this year. Like, they're having a Virginia Tech-type season in the Big Ten. And they've and- probably got the, the best offensive player in the country. Right? I mean, she's, she's a freak. Yeah, I mean, she's a freak. Um, you know, she, she gets off the park, she gets off the bus in the parking lot. That's where her range starts. I mean, it's unbelievable watching her play. Um, had a, had a, what was it? A 40 point triple double, um, in the sweet 16, something like that. She had 41 points. She, she's ridiculous. Um, very, very good player. South Carolina's favored by double digits. So that kind of just gives you an idea of, of how good this team is back to Virginia tech though. I was a little bit concerned with you know, how they were struggling to break the press, right, in the Sweet 16 game uh, against Tennessee and just knowing how, and, and I'm not going to pretend to be a women's basketball connoisseur. I'm, I'm not. I, I watched the Tech women play, and I know South Carolina is very good. I know who Caitlin Clark is. I know she's ridiculous. I, you know, I have a elementary understanding of women's basketball, but when everybody's talking about how good Ohio State's press is, I'm going into that Elite Eight game thinking, okay, Tech's going to be in for it, just seeing how they struggled to break the press in the second half against Tennessee. And that wasn't an issue for the Hokies in this basketball game. It just wasn't. They, they broke who the knew press. That, no who knew problem. that like, the best way to break the press was just Georgia Amor dribbling? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that, 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 was, that was the funny part, too, because against Tennessee, like, Amor's trying to break the press by herself sometimes, right? And there'd be, like, a, a turnover. She'd get doubled, and she'd pass it out, and she'd make the right basketball play and then there'd just be a turnover. There's a swarm like Tennessee did a really nice job with the press. I thought in the second half of that game and everybody's talking about how Ohio state is known for their full court press. Right. And Amor comes out of the Tennessee game, you know, in the post game with Holly Rowe. And she said, you know, the best way for us going into Ohio state, going into prep, the best way for us to get to a final four is to play well enough defensively, right. That Ohio state cannot set up, in the press in, in in their press so you mentioned ricky in the first half ohio state shot 70 percent from the floor right so tech defensively didn't do as great of a job as they did in the second half i thought they were much better defensively in the second half first half ohio state shoots 70 percent from the floor tech was still leading because they were still able to break the press right so like kenny brooks found something and it worked and I thought Tech cleaned up the, the press break. I thought they did a really nice job offensively in that game. Amor was ridiculous. Kitley was ridiculous. Um, that that crossover step back that Amor hit in the second half, I think it was end of the third quarter, ridiculous. Um, a high, very high-level basketball shot that not a lot of people in the world can make. <laughs> I mean, it sounds preposterous, but, I mean, it, the crossover step back, going away from her body, um, 
just a ridiculous. She's just a very high level shooter, and I don't think she gets the credit that she probably deserves because she's in a tournament, right? She's in the final four now with like Caitlin Clark, for example, right? And Amor's made more threes than Caitlin Clark in this tournament, which hard to believe. Yeah, Georgia is. I mean, she she's she was overlooked all season, as it turns out. Um, w- w- when you have the you know back to back ACC Player of the Year playing center for the same right. team, it's kind of it's easy for that to happen. But right. and Kitley's been, I mean, phenomenal. She's been she's tournament. been very good, but yeah, I think I, I think anyone that's actually watched the games would would have to agree that. The, the the team is really running, especially the offense, through Georgia. Yeah, at every possession. Yeah, and as as important as it is to have Liz Kitley on her game, and Liz did lead the team in scoring against Ohio State with twenty five. Um, Georgia having her on the floor is paramount. So yeah. when she took that hit, mm-hmm. I think we all. We're like, oh well, this was fun, <laughs> right? Yep. And um, within what ten minutes, she was back on the floor. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just a huge bullet dodge there. Um, that was that was scary. Um, but yeah, kind of, it was kind of the flashback to last year a little bit, right? Where it felt like Tech was one player short offensively, and. So what do they do? They go out and get Taylor Soul, right? Transfer in, and she's been she's been very good and great great rebounder and good she defender. She had such in. a such an element to the team that they haven't had in a very long time. Yeah, that they were missing last year, right? Which got them in trouble in that in that Florida Gulf Coast game in the opener um, of the tournament last year in that five twelve game. Like they were missing kind of the defender on the wing, and she's and, and, and a that. slasher too. You have to have yeah. people that can get to the rim and both. Sewell and and uh, Kiana Trailer have done that, yeah, really, really well. They're they're very good at going to the rim. Neither of them are gonna are gonna you know really be able to shake somebody down on the perimeter and, and get a shot off. Um, but both of them have been very good at attacking the basket, and that relieves a lot of pressure on Georgia when she's able to get the ball to someone and let them get to the rim. And she's and. You know, she's been the, the second best player. Amor has been the second best player all season for Tech. So when she gets hurt with the way that she's been playing, collectively, you know, everybody's like, oh boy, here we go. Because not only do you feel like when she's out of the lineup, not only do you feel like you're like one one offensive player short, you're like the offensive player is out of the game with the way she's been playing. Like she's, Kit- Kitley's been consistent, fantastic, second team All-American I mean, hanger jersey in the Raptors. She's oh, had that kind of, I mean, <laughs> she is she is the the best women's player in school history. I would argue. I don't think there's any. How how crazy is it that Virginia Tech went from Reagan McGarry, who was probably the best, uh, very definitely, good. D- definitely the best front court player in the in the history of the program. Until Liz Kitley got there. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then Liz Kitley comes in and just transcends that. Um, yeah. And she's been preposterous like since she was a freshman. Like, yeah. She's been put, yeah. she's just, she's done nothing but put up numbers. And, you know, she is the consistent presence underneath. Amor just opens up an entirely different element to the Virginia Tech offense with the way she's been shooting and her basketball IQ. The, the women's basketball Twitter account put out, um, a video I was watching, I think before the tournament games even started, I think it was like a day or two after selection Sunday. And it was just Kenny Brooks breaking down film with Georgia. And they've the, the basketball accounts done a great job of, of putting those types of videos out. They put it out with Kitley before I find those very interesting. But, My boy Carter Brown. Yep. But watching dude, the dude is a true pro, but watching the, watching Kenny talk to Georgia through the eyes of a point guard was so interesting to me. It's like every, every single play she has like five or six different options of what she could do. And it just seems like more often than not, and maybe it was just because they were, you know, cutting up the film for Twitter, but it seemed like Georgia was able to just run through all six different options with Kenny 
and then like talk about why she didn't do this, why she didn't do that, why she went that way with the ball, why she chose to make this play. It wasn't all she wasn't always making the the play that Kenny wanted her to make, but she always had a reason why she was doing what she was doing on the floor. And that was in, in the clips of, of game film. That was in the clips of practice film. I mean, she is a very high IQ basketball player. And I think it's shown with the way that she's played in the tournament. The most impressive part about all of this for me is that they're doing this with essentially a six-man rotation. Um, yeah, yeah. Taylor Taylor Guyman played one minute, and that was when Georgia went out. Um, Georgia actually was credited with 39 minutes, so she, she only missed a minute worth of game time, uh, which is just insane. And that's... That's the most impressive part about all this for me is that they're doing it with essentially six players. But that's also the part that worries me as you start to get up against the cream of the crop in the country. Um, yeah. Kitley and, and Amor played 79 minutes yeah. against Ohio State. Now, it's nice that like they're getting these long breaks, right? Every two games, you get a, a, th- a four-day break, essentially. And that can help a lot, but that's a heavy load, man. And to their credit, they're they're carrying the load and running with it right now. But I mean, Taylor Sewell played thirty five, Kayla King played thirty three, Keanu Trailer played twenty eight, Deja Greg twenty four. Um, I mean, and, but and, and again, we have to give credit where credit is due. They've been doing this throughout the entire win streak. Yeah. This has been, this has been the formula for Kenny Brooks. He's tightened down the rotation, six or seven players. I I don't even know if they've played eight at any point throughout the win streak. I'd have to go back and check, but six to seven players, tons and tons of minutes for Kitley and Amor. And to their credit, they've been able to handle those minutes. Yep. Um, That's a, like, I, I, I'm just worried about how sustainable that is, honestly. And I'm hoping that it is for two more games. Um, but that is, to me, that's that's the most interesting part about all this because it's extremely impressive that they've been able to do it. But it's also really, really hard to bank on that for as long as they've been doing it. Well, especially now when you're running against, like, the elite teams in the tournament, right? And yeah. Not only that, but like, can you continue to defend without fouling? Because I thought they've, you know, especially as as the games have gotten tougher, as they play the Tennessees and the Ohio States, and now as they go up and and play against LSU in the Final Four, like as you start to get against better competition, elite competition, can you continue to defend without fouling? Because that's been that's the key a really to the entire important thing. point. Neither Kitley nor Amor had a, a a foul against Ohio State, right? Which, given the level of defender that both of those players are, um it's impressive that that, that that's the case. Um, can it continue? Right. Can it continue? LSU worries me because Kim Mulkey is such an outstanding coach. Um, they will be ready to play, right? The turnaround project at LSU has been swift under Mulkey, as we all knew it would be when she left Baylor, right? Yep. Baylor has obviously taken a significant step back relative to what it's they were. It's very rare when you leave an established program like that to take on a rebuild. Yeah, and she did that, and I believe she's an LSU alum, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm not sure. I got to double-check that. But, yeah, she takes the LSU job, and, you know, it's like immediately they turn. And you can do that in college basketball now because the transfer portal and everything else. You can turn around a program quickly in college basketball because – Obviously, there's less players on the team. You can go out in the portal and get high-impact players. You know, she's been able to do that. She's turned around the program quickly. She's a very, very good coach. And so, so that's Kim, be a Mulkey, tough game. Kim Mulkey is from Louisiana. She went to Louisiana Tech. Okay. Native. So, I knew there was a tie there. So um, yeah. Okay. From the area. That makes sense. So, you know, that that's going to be a, it's going to be a tough game. And, you know, it, it was, funny because you know after after the elite eight you know they they had the press availability uh the next day and you know mulkey was asked about kenny brooks and 
she just sung his praises, right? Not only for what he did for Virginia Tech, but she said nobody wanted to schedule James Madison in the non-conference. when She was talking about when she was at Baylor. Nobody wanted to schedule James Madison in the non-conference because they knew they were in for a fight with Kenny Brooks. And she said now that Brooks got to Virginia Tech in the ACC, he's able to get a different caliber of athlete and really show what kind of coach that he is. But she said everybody respects Kenny Brooks. Everybody knew that he was capable of, you know, bringing programs to to new heights and and getting them to where they wanted to be. She had, and and this is one of the premier coaches in the game talking about how good of a coach Kenny Brooks is. Right. So I think Virginia tech, I I think the fans already know this, but Virginia tech's very lucky to have Kenny Brooks. And the fact that she was, you know, again, for me, someone who doesn't follow, you know, the women's college game religiously, to hear somebody with the stature of Kim Mulkey talk about how good Brooks was and how well he's he's been respected at at the lower level, right, at James Madison, and and to see what he's done at Virginia Tech, you know, Mulkey knows that they're in for it, right, on Friday. This is not going to be like a pushover game for LSU. You know, they're not just going to walk out there because Kim Mulkey's their coach with a bunch of really good players and Tech's going to be a walkover. I don't think Mulkey's expecting that. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, it it took Kenny some time to get things going, right? Like they they were in the WNIT for three straight years, and even though they were winning a ton of games, they won twenty plus games in each of those first three seasons. They would have made the tournament probably the year the tournament was canceled twenty because yep. of COVID. Yep. Um, but since yep. then they've been in in the NCAA tournament both both years and. You go back to when he was at James Madison, and I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six NCAA tournament appearances. And he made the tournament his last three seasons at James Madison, five of his last uh, seven, um, and made the postseason every year from 2005 to 2015. Yep. So – basketball coach <laughs> the, the pedigree was always there and it, it was just a matter of could he could he get virginia tech out of that that middle rung of the acc and to his credit he's done that with a, a rash of transfers he's brought in a ton of transfers every year and it's worked but obviously developing these young players and getting them to the point where they you know asia shepherd broke the scoring record yep. last year Yep. Uh, or excuse me, two years ago. Um, Liz Kitley breaks it this year. Georgia Amor, someone who was kind of off, just kind of off the reservation that they pulled out of Australia. Um, yep. Just, just it, incredible player development, incredible coaching, and incredible and, scouting to get yeah, her from Australia. Yeah. And also, too, for those that may not have had the the pleasure of, of interacting with Kenny personally, just a, a tremendous person. And as someone who, you know, covered Kenny his first few years in Virginia, or averaging attack, uh, I've talked with Kenny off the record before, just in personal conversations. And he's the exact kind of person that you want to represent your program and your university and your alma mater. So I couldn't be happier for him. He's he's worked his ass off. He put up with some naysayers for the first couple of years, um, which I don't know if you remember that, Mike, but there were some folks that thought that after the the first couple of years, first three years there, even though Kenny had won 60 games plus in three years, that for some reason that Virginia Tech needed to move on. Um Kenny has Kenny has shown that Whit Babcock's patience paid off. It's it's been player development, it's been player retention, it's been recruiting, it's been uh, just unbelievable job. So now Tech's in the Final Four, which is just very hard to believe, right? Um, it is and it isn't because we've seen what this team is all year, but like. Even in January and February, like just seeing how they were playing, it was like, all right, we kind of saw this a year ago too. Like, can they take the next step? And then they just turned it on it through a really, really tough stretch in February 
let's be honest, like, Mike, we're, we're we're jaded as as Hokies, as Virginia Tech fans. We are jaded, and I I, I know I know I felt this way, and I'm sure there were other people that felt this way as well. We were just kind of waiting for the wheels to fall off. Well, and I mean, this was a haven't. this was. This was a five. I mean, this was a five seed in the tournament last year, right? A very good team, a very good year. It was a five seed, and they were going up against Florida Gulf Coast in a five twelve game and got upset. And it was like, you know what? They had a really good year and probably fell short of their internal expectations. But they returned everybody, and then they brought in, you know, key players in the rotation in the transfer portal, and again, off got off to a really really good start this year, and. Everybody was kind of pointing at that stretch in February saying, okay, they're probably going to drop a couple here, but can they win most of them? Because they were going up against the who's who in the ACC, right? Um, they had a couple of games against Notre Dame, um, who was kind of a shell of themselves right at that point. Um, Olivia Miles got hurt, and Dara Mabry, ex-Hokey, tore her ACL, you know, so it played against Duke. Th- there were some some big-time games in there, and everybody was saying, okay, can they – get through that stretch and only drop, you know, one or two games, you know, can they win a majority of these? They won every single one. They have not lost in two months. And it's just hard to believe that they got through that stretch undefeated. They did not lose in the month of February, or at least, you know, maybe they lost one game in, in early February. I can't remember. It was your late January. Early no, February. Last loss is on the road at Duke. They lose by 11. And they, they go on the road, beat UVA, Syracuse at home, ranked NC State, ranked Florida State, number nine, Duke, NC State, ranked Carolina, Georgia Tech on the road, Miami, ranked Duke, Louisville. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they played their ass off, man. Oh, and then, by the way, just won, you know, three straight games in the ACC tournament after a double bye. Yeah. And, and won the conference tournament and got the number one seed. And, and you know, what's interesting too is I guess not interesting, interesting is the wrong word, but it's pretty funny just like looking back on it and everybody talking about, Oh, Virginia tech is the weakest number one seed. Right. Cause they were trying to find, you know, they were trying to find reasons to put like a Yukon in there as like the fourth number one seed. Did Virginia tech really deserve it? I mean, the answer was yes with the way they played in, in February and with the way they they played in the conference tournament like tech absolutely deserved to be a number one seed and they got it but tech was the popular pick right i mean it was indiana stanford um it was indiana stanford south carolina and virginia tech virginia tech was the popular pick to be the first number one seed to go down right um they're one of two left standing with the best team in the country <laughs> in south carolina and georgia amor keeps bringing up in these post-game press conferences like we saw this stuff on social media and it's fueling us. And then Kenny Brooks, you know, the, the morning after they, they beat Ohio state to go to the final four, he says, it's unrealistic for me to sit here and, and tell these girls to not pay attention to social media. It's unrealistic. So what Absolutely. do I say? Use it as, use it as positive fuel. And, and Brooks said, you know, a lot of, a lot of players try to, you know, find ways to motivate themselves to prove people wrong, but they just want to prove themselves. Right. And I thought that was really telling. It's really interesting. It it speaks to the tight knit group. That you never Brooks hear has. you never hear it described like that by anybody. That I no. wanted to prove myself right. No, and so it, I thought it was a. I I read that as well and thought that was an interesting, interesting word choice. And and Georgia Amor too. Like it was after the um, it was after a Tennessee game, right? She said, you know, to get to Elite Eight, you know, she said you know, kind of towards the end, she was given the reasons why, you know, they were able to, to get to the elite eight. And she said, yeah, you know, I saw some negative stuff on social media that certainly helped. Right. But she said with a smile on her face, it wasn't like, you know, everybody was doubting, you know, you, you see players generally are like, everybody was doubting us, you know, we have the haters sort of thing. Yeah. And not that she doesn't feel that way, but she's not showing it right in, in post game in post-game availability, right, when she's asked about it. She's just not treating it that way. I don't think any of them are. And it's just really, really – Kiana Trailer is just like – she's quote-tweeting, you know, old tweets about, you know, everybody talking about Virginia Tech, you know, being the first number one seed to fall. And she's just like LOLing on social media about it. It's just very funny just to see how they're, they're treating They're having it. fun. 
they're fueling they're, they're using it to fuel their run, which is really it's it's really cool. And they're they're not, the, 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 they're not only playing well, but they're enjoying the experience and soaking it all in. And yep. I'm not gonna fault them for that one one bit. Now, so look, I mean, let let's talk about this real quick. They play LSU in the Final Four on Friday, right? We'll see we'll see what happens there. Um, in Dallas, uh, they they play LSU. South Carolina's got Iowa. South Carolina's a double-digit favorite against a really good Iowa team. LSU right now is favored against Virginia Tech. I, I don't remember what the line was. Um, LSU LSU's was favored. favored? LSU's favored. LS, both LSU and South Carolina were favored. Okay. So, um, obviously, I think Virginia Tech has a much better chance to beat LSU than Iowa does to beat South Carolina. I know Caitlin Clark's a really good player, but South Carolina's a wagon. Um, I will say that if Iowa were to pull off the upset over South Carolina and Virginia Tech were to get by LSU, I do think Virginia Tech would win the national championship. So I'm going to go on the record with that because I think Georgia Amor, maybe she can't match Caitlin Clark, but I think she can score well enough with Caitlin Clark that I think, you know, Liz Kitley would have an opportunity underneath and in that matchup to really make hay. Right. And I think Virginia Tech would have a great chance against Iowa. South Carolina, right? Um, tougher matchup, but if Tech gets to a national championship game, period, right? It's this season's already an accomplishment getting to the Final Four, right? But to get to a national championship and to measure yourself up against the team in the sport, all you want is one chance, right? I mean, that's all yeah. you can ask for is to get a shot at them, right? In a national title game, and nobody's going to walk away. I mean, sure, there would be natural. To, you know, disappointment if Tech were to lose in the national title game to South Carolina, there'd be natural disappointment. But like, how disappointed could you possibly be? You know what I mean? Like South Carolina is that good. And especially if Tech played well in that game, maybe there'd be a little more disappointment. But part of me just wants to see them get a shot at it. Just just give them a chance. Like, let's see. Let's see what they can do against, you know, the measuring stick in college basketball right now. Yeah, I, I mean, regardless of how this how this goes down, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be upset with this no. season at all. No, no. <laughs> like, no. Um, anything from point, here on out is a cherry on top. Yeah, yeah, um, but just a just a, a really cool experience, honestly. All right, Ricky, so we go from the women's program in the Final Four. Anything from here on out would be a cherry on top. Outstanding year, best year in school history, All-Americans, et cetera. Just really good team. To the men's team, right, which had a really disappointing year. But now we're in a situation where Tech is keeping the core members of its coaching staff together, right? Um, you know, Kevin Giltner, there was, you know, a lot of people wondered if he would you know, land the Wofford job, right? There was, you know, people wondering if Young's going to lose his top assistant, right? So Wofford hires and, you know, they, they hire the interim coach there, right? And he remains. So Giltner stays on staff. That That's net positive. Virginia Tech now goes into the transfer portal early in the offseason. Lance McKay Long from Old Dominion led the Sun Belt in double-doubles, Ricky, a 10-8 and eight guy who I think fills an immediate need for Virginia Tech. The Hokies were really struggling on the glass this year. It's why they lost a bunch of basketball games. I think this this helps fill that need early in the offseason. I think it's it's a good get. It is. It absolutely is. Um, Long actually had more win shares on the defensive end than he did on the offensive end, which is in, uh, intriguing. Um, well, that, that might be even – I mean, that's – so I didn't even know that, right? So with that in mind, given the difficulties this team had defending this year, that might be a bigger story than the rebounding, which I think is definitely going to help. Yeah, you have to hope that he's going to be able to provide some of that athleticism and length on the wing that Virginia Tech just simply hasn't had in a very long time. Yep. Um, Justin Mutz didn't really have that that kind of rangy athleticism as a four. Uh, he was much more of like an undersized center in that regard. 
uh, that was you know a bit a bit quicker than your average average five. Four man's Draymond. Yeah, um, kind of like in the in the mold of John Camden a little bit. I'm not sure yeah. that Camden is going to give you nearly as much on the defensive end or on the glass, but kind of in that mold. Virginia Tech hasn't had that kind of player in a while. And um, anytime you can add those guys to your team, that's a plus. Definitely. Like you, you, you can never really have too many athletic wings because those guys can really change the game depending on how skilled they are offensively. And for someone that, like you said, led his conference in double doubles, um, he had a really good year last year from three um, shooting about 36%, which is a career high for him. Respectable for sure. Um, and you know, you have to hope that the that the the game will translate over, right? This is a guy that started out in the A10 at Rhode Island, went to ODU, which would just moved to the Sun Belt this year. Um, I'm going to be honest; I'm not really sure how good the basketball is down in the Sun Belt Conference. Um, if this was football, we could talk about the Fun Belt. This is basketball all day long, baby. Yeah. So, but what else might I bet on on Tuesday nights, Ricky? <laughs> this is a guy that's got. Um, a ton of experience 30 or excuse me 60 starts in two years he's um he's played 30 games or more in three of his four seasons you're getting a veteran guy uh someone who's definitely going to be motivated to get to the next level um i i think it, i think it's a good addition obviously it's a good addition i mean th- I i'm think not gonna it's... sit here and say that like this is the the silver bullet to, all, to any problems but how about Davi Belfort? <laughs> tech Let, needed. Let's unpack this. <laughs> let's unpack this. No, tech needed. Tech needed more athleticism, right? Yes, I think that absolutely. that was an area where, you know, tech had to play perfectly for a stretch for a lot of stretches this year. Namely, like when Couture got hurt, they had to play almost perfectly. Guys were in new roles. There were a host of reasons. Basile was still transitioning to the ACC. He was still trying to find his footing. Ended up having a really good second half of the year, but he was still kind of in that mold of like, hey, what am I? I, I still got to figure this out a little bit. So that was a really bad time for Couture to get hurt. Tech had to play like perfect basketball there, and they obviously didn't. I think when you're more athletic, you have a larger margin for error, right? Um, I think long helps that. Right. I think I think when you add athleticism to your team, that helps that. Um, I think Rodney Rice, if he was able to play for like longer stretches, that would have helped that with his athleticism. Right. So there were elements here and we're going to get into two transfers. Right. Two guys transferring out of the program. We're going to get to that in just one second. But I think just from an addition standpoint, I think this really helps. Now, unfortunately, two guys transferred out of the program, Ricky, and one of them, I think, was extremely athletic and Darren Buchanan, who was redshirting this year. Um, it was a planned red shirt, right? Uh, with Patrick Wessler. And we were hoping that Darren Buchanan was going to be a guy who was going to be able to contribute moving forward. He was all met, you know, in DC Metro area. That's no joke. That means you're a really good basketball player at the high school level. Um, even though he was like a three star from the recruiting services, if you're all met in the DMV brother, there's some good basketball being played in the DC Metro area. Like I had high hopes for Buchanan. So I'm bummed that he's transferring. Yeah. Um, From an athleticism standpoint alone, it's like. Yeah, he, he was definitely someone who kind of flew under the radar w- when he was signed. Um, but like you said, anytime you can get someone from that area that's got those kind of accolades, you feel like there's something there's something there, there that just yeah. isn't being that, that, that isn't being harnessed. Um, but this is kind of the reality of college athletics now. Yeah, if you if you're not seeing the floor um on your on year one you're gonna have guys bouncing and yeah i mean think about it like this and this kind of transitions into the next guy that left right right we went from you know basically the end of two years ago darius maddox hitting a game winner and helping virginia tech win their first acc championship yep to one year later 
and it was kind of a foregone conclusion that he was going to transfer. Yeah. Yep. I mean that things things change so damn fast in this in this day and age now and um that's it's probably the same thing that happened with Darren Buchanan. He probably felt like he was being passed over on the depth chart and needed to look elsewhere and then you get a guy like Darius Maddox, who goes from being a, a microwave kind of hot shooter, instant offense guy um, with the chance to develop into a really well-rounded score to in the portal. Yeah, the, the Maddox thing is unfortunate, right? Because he was such a prominent part of a, a really important team in, in the scheme of like men's basketball at Virginia Tech, like historically. Like they, they don't, they literally don't get to a conference championship without him hitting that shot against Clemson. They just don't get there. Um, and he just played really, really well second half of last year. And I think the, the hopes were really high coming into this year. It's a big reason why Naheem Aline is at UConn, right? Playing, playing in the final four. Yeah. Uh, being a contributing member to don't a final four. Don't get me team. started. Um, the, the thing too is like, Nags has some stuff going on off the floor. I'm not going to pretend to know totally what was going on. I did see his mom tweet out, you know, something like, Hey, thanks for the prayers. Hokie nation, you know, her husband, Darius's dad is, you know, back to work after medical leave. So the health of Darius Maddox's dad was, I'm sure something that was on his mind for a lot of the year. It's obviously why he stepped away um, for personal reasons. And I'm sure that was weighing on him early in the year when he wasn't playing particularly well, right? Basketball is a mental game. I'm sure that did play a part. Um, but well, now, I was going to say, I mean, even before the off-the-field stuff started to take place, I think we kind of saw this one coming, right? Like yeah, Darius, I, Darius yeah. was he was losing minutes to yep. to MJ Collins. Yep, and his shot wasn't falling. It looked like he didn't fit in the offense. Yep. He was falling out of the rotation. Yep. So then when he, you know, kind of, you know, when he goes on leave of absence for what it ended up being basically with the last two months of the year, essentially. Yep. Um, he just kind of felt like that was it. The spot was and, gone, right? I mean, his spot was gone. He Like I, I've been, I've been waiting. I've been banking on this really for the last, month yeah it was a foregone conclusion um and i think when you find out to the extent that we know right that there was something going on with his dad from a health standpoint it just seemed like he was going to end up transferring closer to home and i don't know where he'll end up but it just seems like that it's the right move for him and his family i hope he continues to play good basketball moving forward but it just didn't seem like the thing with darius is like he's uh, the thing you mentioned earlier about him being like a microwave score, right. Um, and being a guy who like fill it up quickly is that a big reason why he didn't play early in his career. He didn't play much as a freshman. It took him so long to play as a sophomore for tech is because he wasn't defending at a high level. Like Mike Young talked about that openly. Yeah. And the thing about Darius is like, he was defending better, but he was by no means a great defender. So when he's not scoring, and you're not a defender, and you're not playing point guard, it comes a point in time where Young is just going to be, Coach Young's going to be like, all right, we're just going to move on to MJ Collins, right? He's a freshman, and he's providing us something on the defensive end, like he's contributing something somewhere. And Mike Young, first and foremost, I mean, this is a team that's known for its offense, right? But Mike Young's not going to throw a young guy on the floor unless he can defend. That's why Wessler didn't play. That's why Buchanan didn't play. That's why Max didn't play early in his career. That's why Joe Biamisel didn't pan out for Virginia Tech. He wasn't defending early in his career. So, like, Young's not going to play you if you're not defending. And in Darius's case, he's not going to play you if you're not defending and also you're not doing the thing you're really good at in scoring, right? So that was unfortunate. The whole situation is unfortunate, right? It's, it's a bummer. He won't, you know, be at Tech moving forward and being able to contribute to the rotation and it's one less veteran player on your team, which in my opinion is never a good thing, right? Especially in this day and age with transfers and everything else. But I think now with, with Maddox transferring out, um, Buchanan transferring out, but you bring in Mackay Long, I think Long helps with the athleticism. 
right, that you're losing in Buchanan. And we didn't really know what Buchanan was going to be. We were hoping he would be, you know, a, a nice player who flew under the radar and ended up contributing for four years. He's out of the program, right? Hunter Couture and Grant Basile both have an extra year of eligibility. It would be huge if only one of them came back. It would be huge. If both of them came back, it would be gigantic with the with the long addition. You lose Justin Mutz, which that's hard to re- – I mean, it's hard to replace. as a little bit everything. Just a veteran player, played a lot of college basketball, hard to replace. But this is an interesting team going into next year, even without – you know, let's say Basili and, and Couture leave, Ricky. I don't have, like, high hopes for the team if Basili and Couture are no longer in the picture. But I do think this is an interesting roster, right? You got you got Rice. You got Padula. You got Mikai Long. You got, um, <laughs> you got Patrick Wessler, who hasn't played a minute, right? You have Lynn Kidd, who would be stepping into a much larger role, assuming he sticks around. And, and Lynn Kidd, I thought, played very well this year for tech. I would love, I would love to see him in an expanded role next year and just for him to kind of continue to build because you, you can see it defensively and starting to click for him offensively. You can really see him developing. This is an intriguing roster and one that I will be very interested in watching. Even if Couture and Basili don't come back, if they do come back though, I think the seal, the, the ceiling and the expectation, especially if rice plays a full year with what we saw out of him, offensively as he started to play a little bit more towards the end of the year is like this should be another team that's in the conversation for the NCAA tournament like they need they need to be in that conversation more than they were this year right if they return three seniors they return two seniors bring in a, another one in long have a third year point guard in Padula and have Rodney Rice for a full season like that is a veteran team that should make some noise in the ACC, in my opinion. I'm curious to see, well, everything changes depending on what Couture and, and, and Basili do. Changes so, the entire math. So it let's, changes everything. Changes everything. let's assume that they're both gone, which may or may not happen. Let's just assume they're both gone. Yeah. The, yep. the, the, the thing I would be most interested to see is how you would handle – the trio of Padula, Rodney Rice, and MJ Collins. Mm-hmm. Do you do you play all three? Do you start all three of them? Hell, I didn't even mention MJ Collins when I was going through the Did, lineup do there. You, yep. Do you bring one off the bench, but they play you know thirty minutes? Yep. Like how do you how do you handle that? How does that affect your 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 four spot? Like because I'm I kind of feel like Makai Long is going to end up playing the four for this team as kind of a, um, an oversized or excuse me, a, kind of an undersized four. Yeah. Oversized three, almost a mutt, a mutt's he's going to slide into mutt's spot and just play a different role. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I am curious to see how that, how kind of the backcourt shakes out now before we move on and, and kind of wrap this up. Cause I think we're reaching the end of our planned content for the evening. Um, I do want to point out something and uh, we're going to go through a little exercise here. Um, do I need a pencil or anything? I... No, no, okay. but I, I, I am going to require some feedback from you. So pop quiz. Yeah. Let's go back to the class of 2020 for Virginia tech. Okay. Um, Virginia tech's highest rated signing was Joe Bamisil. How'd that turn out, Mike? Poorly. He's on his third school. Yeah. Uh, Darius Maddox leaving. I, I, I mean, leaving. So the end was poor. The middle was really good. And the beginning wasn't what we hoped it would be when he was a freshman. Continue. David Gasson. Contributing to an elite eight team. Not Virginia that isn't, Tech. That isn't Virginia Tech. <laughs> it is not Virginia Tech. Yes. Um, not good. Sean Padula. That's a good one. Right, I would say has I would say around good. has played yep. a has played a, a big impact on the team. Yeah, Jalen Haynes, uh, gone. Okay, uh, Rodney Rice, TBD. Is very that fair? TBD. Very, very. I think very TBD. The the um, the signs are there, right? I mean, you could see the <laughs> why he was the recruit that he was, right? The signs were there. I think once he was healthy. Yeah, uh, Patrick Wessler, TBD. TBD. He's seven feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> 
MJ Collins or TBD on that still too? I would say TBD, but like I would say with MJ Collins, um, I am a bit more optimistic given how well he played as a freshman. I thought he was he was as good as you can hope for a freshman of his caliber prospect to be. So I'm 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 trending optimistically on MJ Collins. And then Darren Buchanan, gone. Gone. Yeah. So my point here is that while Mike Young has done a pretty good job with these transfers, right? Mm-hmm. Like he got I mean, Hunter Couture was a freshman, but that's I kind of look at Hunter Couture as a transfer because he was committed to Wofford, and that's sure. that's yep. where he was going to end up. Yep. But um, you, you look at all the transfers he's brought in. He's done a pretty good job through the transfer portal. He's had some big swing and misses with these these recruits. I have and... a question. I have I have a question for you, and I think I think I know the answer. I think we'll we'll agree on this. Maybe. Do you think Mike Young's treatment of freshmen in terms of when they play and what it takes for them to play is conducive to him having good four-year players at Virginia Tech? I And this is what I mean by that, Ricky. We talked about Maddox, right? We talked about BMSL, the fact that even Padula, right? If you think about Padula's freshman year, like those guys didn't get on the floor for a while because they couldn't defend like young's not going to play freshman if they can't defend that's why wessler and and buchanan redshirted in today's day today's day and age with the transfer portal like you mentioned earlier like if you're not playing as a first-year player you're probably going to look elsewhere right does young's treatment of freshmen right wrong or indifferent in terms of the rotation is that conducive to him having consistent four-year players? I'm not sure the answer is yes, right? Like, I'm, I, I think, think it. Um, it's going to be case by case, right? Like MJ Collins played a lot as a freshman. Like he's going to play moving forward. Like Maddox stuck around as a sophomore and, and played significant minutes, right? And eventually, yeah. I mean, th- there are there are examples of guys who who kind of bided their time and then got into the rotation. Hunter Couture is an obvious Couture. example. Sean Padula, Nahima Lean, who obviously is now gone. Um, like th- th- there are those examples, but you raise an interesting point. But my counter argument to that would be that the guys that have left, most of them aren't doing much. Yeah, I mean, I like, guess the, ex- like, the like exceptions Jaylen are. Cohn, Jalen oh. Cohn didn't amount to anything really at the at the Power Five level. So, and and Jalen Cohn was you know one of Mike Young's Northern biggest Ari- signings, right? Nor- so, Northern Northern Arizona. Yeah, um, I mean, like like John Ojiaco didn't really. I'm not even sure where he is. Um. Hopefully he's but, doing okay. Yeah, I, I hope he's okay. But like Joe Bamisiel and Darius Maddox are the two that I really stick with because these were supposed to be like the the borderline elite yeah. elite guys. And if you can't get those guys ready to play year one, I think it kind of says something about you as a coach that you signed guys that wanted to play early and you knew they couldn't play early. Or did you not know that they could? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just kind of like spitballing here, but like my – my overall point is I'm a little worried about Mike Young's ability to develop young players because he's kind of 50-50 right now. For every – yeah, I mean, I would say – and, and you know, I mean, we like he's probably had some, he's had some He's had some legitimate successes, and Hunter Couture sure. is kind yeah. of the shining example of that, a guy that yep. couldn't defend my, my grandfather <laughs> – when couldn't he defend got on campus. Yeah, couldn't he defend couldn't me, defend Mike guess, Young yeah. when he got to campus. And he becomes one of the better perimeter defenders in the entirety of the country yep. while also being a knockdown shooter. Yep. Um, legitimate, legitimate 3 and D guy. Like, yes, absolutely. Even like though he might be a tad undersized as a 2 in today's game at the NBA yep. level, I think he's going he's gonna to catch on somewhere. Um, 
but I'm I'm just I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. I'm not. I'm, and again, this is Mike Young is a good coach. Yep. And this is not a. This is not a call that like Mike Young's on the hot seat or anything like that. No. But like these were some big swings and misses, and Mike Young is trying to backfill those holes right now. I think it's I think it's fair, and you know there are a lot of Mike Young truthers and Mike Young haters and all this stuff. I think it's fair to look at Mike Young right now and say he's a good coach. Virginia Tech will be consistently competitive with him as the guy in charge. But maybe the ceiling isn't quite as high as we thought it was building off of Buzz Williams when he first got here. I think fair. that is I think that is an honest, in my opinion, just one man's opinion, I think that is an honest, fair take of where we're at right now. And to your point about the the player development stuff, we got to go through like every every coach that isn't a blue blood, you know the the from the like Roy Williams, Coach K, Bill Self, you know corner of the world, right? Of course, Coach K and and Roy Williams are gone now, but from like the corner of like the elite elite coaches in the sport, Calipari, like those guys. Yeah, when you kind of take a step back and you think about like really good coaches that aren't at that level, which is like a whole bunch of guys. And Mike Young, in my opinion, is one of them. He's won 300 games, you know, 300 games at Wofford and all that. And he's, those, won a, he's won a, a power five conference title. Like that's, yeah, he's won a ton of games. Can't just ignore that. We're, can't. No. I mean, that's part of the discussion. I love when people on Twitter say like, oh, like we're, you know, they, they want to talk about Mike Young, but then they want to dismiss the ACC title. It's like, well, yeah, you can't, imagine if he didn't win that. the ACC championship and it's like, you can't. <laughs> oh, and 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 the and the and the folks on Twitter who are like totally dishonest about it, they're like, oh, they got hot for like one weekend in March last year, which is total. I mean, excuse my language, that's total bullshit. I mean, they played outstanding the entire month of February last year. They went on that yeah. run. They they had a rough January. They got really hot in February. They went from dead in the water to on the bubble before they, the tournament started. Before the before the conference <laughs> tournament started. They resurrected their season with how they played in the month of February. From like mid-January on, a year ago, they caught fire. So to say that they they got hot for one weekend in March is disingenuous bullshit. Like that is just yeah. that's total crap. So, but my, my overarching point is for like the Mike Young coaches, like the the good coaches that aren't the the blue blood top of the sport coaches. Like how many of those guys have similar track records to Mike Young, where they're developing this guy? but they miss on this guy. This guy becomes a really good player. This guy doesn't. He I has guess, these really high hopes, right? I guess my biggest That's my question. I guess my biggest worry though is that the guys that aren't developing are the higher rated recruits. That's that's legitimate concern. That is Those a, are the guys that, that are supposed concern. to have the higher ceilings, the guys that are supposed to be able to win, you know, first team, second team conference players. Yeah. And I mean, let's let's be honest. We all of us on this podcast thought that Joe Bamisio was going to be a good player. We interviewed in, him. In the maroon and orange. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, we were very high on him. Um, same thing with Darius Maddox. Same thing with Maddox. Uh, to a degree, like same thing with Padula. Now he wasn't the he wasn't the level of recruit, right? But he was a very good player coming out of high school, and he's been he's been pretty good. But I would say that in some facets of his game this year, and I think some of it's on him, some of it isn't with the amount of minutes he had to play because we had no backup point guard for most of the year. Um, I would say that he regressed in some areas, right? But he was playing 38 minutes a game for most of the season. So, I mean, you are going to have some more turnovers and stuff like that. Um, but, I, I mean, I, the overarching point, I think, is accurate, Ricky. Like, the the overall take, it's like, Mike Young is a good coach and tech's going to be a consistently competitive basketball program. It would be shocking to me if they just fell off and they weren't right. Even this year, they had a down year, but like you look at their losses, they had a lot of single digit losses, right? A lot of bounces didn't go their way. You had the couture injury in January. Like you look at even this season, which was a down year and a bad year and they didn't perform to expectations, but you look at it and you're like, they were still competitive in a lot of games. I think Tech's going to be a competitive basketball program with Mike Young. I think more often than not, they're going to make the NCAA tournament. I'm not sure the ceiling is as high as we all thought it was when he got here. And grand scheme, I mean, 
it's kind of early still in his tenure, but it's also kind of not, right? Like, he's been around a little while now. So I think we kind of know what we're going to get. Um, good coach, tight rotations. Freshmen aren't always going to play, even if they're highly rated. Is that a sustainable model in today's college basketball, right? I mean, he's a coach that's been around a really long time. And with that comes a lot of things, right? He's a veteran coach. He obviously knows a lot of people. He puts together a good – Virginia Tech has a very good men's basketball staff around him. They have oh, good his, assist, very good assistant coaches. His his level of assistance is pretty remarkable. Very, like, very good. I mean, very like, good assistance. Webby's been rumored to be a hotshot young potential coaching candidate. Yep. Um, Glitner was a, a a finalist probably for the Wofford job. Yep. Eventually, Mike Jones is probably going to get a gig somewhere yep. at like a mid major. Several of his assistants are going to get head coaching jobs, if not all of all of the key ones. Like I, I agree, Jones will get. I mean, Jones is like he's he's walked a different path, right? In terms of like he's newer to college coaching, but obviously great high school coach and. Giltner is a rising star. We we know, I mean, Webster is a couple of years further along his career, I believe, than Giltner. Um, same deal. <laughs> but th- they're all going to be coaches. Yeah. Like head yeah, coaches. I would agree. We rambled a lot there. But... We did, but I, I just, this goes back to like the whole thing about Belfort, not to, you know, op- open up old wounds, but like <laughs> recruiting does not, it's really hard to buy into the recruiting hype nowadays. Because yeah. even if a guy struggles in year one, the chances are you're not going to see him year two, right? Like, yeah, it's even more the case in football than it is basketball with just, I mean, just flat out sheer numbers on the roster. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's anyway, all I got. I don't have it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have anything. Subscribe. Um, yeah, make sure you're watching Friday night, right? Seven. Yeah, Friday night. Um, I mean, kind of goes without saying huge game, uh, <laughs> <laughs> biggest, biggest in program history. So yes. Yeah. Kind of goes without saying this uh, is, this is obviously the best women's basketball team in the history of the, of the school. Yeah. And, um, they're, they're still playing basketball. So you should probably watch just enjoy it too. Like, I don't <laughs> like, we tried to reiterate, like, Anything from here on out is a cherry on top. So just try and not not to say that there shouldn't be expectations for tech to play well, because I think they're there the expectations are there. So I think uh tech playing really poorly and losing by like twenty or something would be very disappointing given how they played. I don't think that's gonna happen, by the way. I don't um I don't know if tech's going to win on Friday night, but I think they have a great shot. So just give them a watch. Enjoy it regardless. Because this is, this is if- the closest this is the closest that any team in the school has ever been to winning a national championship outside of the 1999 yep. football team. Yep. Yep. So we've had yeah. like the individual sports or whatever, but like, as far as like major in terms team of titles, a team like, and team national championship, this is the, the second closest that the, the school yeah. has ever been. Yeah. So tune in, damn it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, watch the game. Uh, this could be the last time you get to watch Liz Kitley. So if anything, we have no idea what she's going to do. Georgia <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Georgia Amor. Yeah. I'm Amor. hoping not, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with the way she's playing, um, she's going to have opportunities. Uh, yeah. So, yep. Watch the game Friday. Tweet at Andrew. Tell him that uh, you hope his uh, prior engagement went well. Um, I mean, I'll certainly be shooting him a text message after this. <laughs> the, I just want to know the specific reason why he couldn't make this time, if that makes sense. I just uh, want to just see how things are going. With yeah, him. fair enough. He's busy this evening. <laughs> I don't have anything else. Um, we'll talk football next week. There's some football. I mean, obviously, spring practice is going on, but there have been yeah. some uh, spring games right around the corner. But interesting stuff going on. There's a lot of basketball stuff going on, and we we didn't really want to. I mean, if, can you imagine if we had brought football onto this podcast? It'd be like a two-hour podcast. I think I I think I rambled more about the men's team than I did about the women's team. I know that's the team I follow more closely, but like I don't the know. women's team is we, more exciting spent, right now. I think we spent a good like 25, 30 minutes on the women's team, which is good. 
that was the goal <laughs> to, yeah. to spend more time on the women's team, the men's team. But we went down a rabbit hole of transfers and recruits and yes, it was good. Did. Good conversation. Otherwise rate review, subscribe, Mike, you got anything? I'm good. Uh, Main street pharmacy here in Blacksburg. That's really the only place to go. There's no alternative. Um, otherwise go Hokies. Yep. Talk next week.